here we go. I, I mentioned as we, you know, began our, our time here this morning that what I was going to do is share with you on the subject of forgiveness, such a front and center um, topic during the Lenten season, 40 days leading up to Easter or the crucifixion. I do have a series planned for the next three Sundays, all leading up to Easter, and I'll tell you more about that in just a little, minute, just a little bit. Forgiveness, the messy side of grace. Our text is Romans chapter 5, and if you have a device you're following along, it will start in verse 20. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace invites us into life. Isn't that good? Now, I owe a debt of gratitude to Philip Yancey and his book entitled, What's So Amazing About Grace?, which I will be borrowing from during my talk today. First of all, I want to talk to you about why I hate forgiveness. <laughs> now, those of you in the room have a handout today. Those of you by live stream, please let us know you'd like to have it. So you'll be filling in blanks here. Why I hate forgiveness. Let me give you a couple of ideas here. It's such an unnatural act, first of all. Even after forgiveness, the wound lives on. Think about Nazi Germany. Jeffrey Dahmer. The Columbine school shooting here in our own state of Colorado. Newtown, Connecticut. Your own divorce or molestation or being bullied at school. All of those have lasting effects. And in the light of that, it's very difficult to feel forgiving. Philip Yancey in his book, why, why so, What's So Amazing About Grace, said this, and I quote, The very taste of forgiveness seems somehow wrong. Even when we have committed a wrong, we want to earn our way back into the injured party's good graces. We prefer to crawl on our knees, to wallow, to do penance, to kill a lamb, and religion often obliges us. We have only to review the story of the prodigal son, right? When he came home, what was his attitude? What was he saying to his father? Verse 19, please Take me in just as a hired servant. What was he doing? Well, his father had forgiven him, and it didn't require anything. But his son was steeped in religious tradition. And so his father's forgiveness completely was free of any notion of justice or payment. The father just said, come on, put a robe on him, put a ring on him, let's start a party. And that's how God's forgiveness works. It doesn't require justice. It doesn't require payment. Jesus took care of that. It's all paid. In fact, the word forgive 
contains the word give. Think of it. The word forgive contains the word give. And the word pardon contains the word from the Greek, donum, which is gift. When you forgive, you're actually giving a gift. The Greek word for forgiving literally means this, to give freely and unconditionally or to bestow as a gift of grace and then to remit a debt graciously to restore. The second reason that we so often hate forgiveness is we say in our mind at least, but God, that's not fair, (laughs) right? God, that's not fair. I've been wronged. I demand justice. Help me get it, Lord. We're mindful of the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. See, it sounds conditional. And in fact is. Christian teaching has long stated that our forgiveness hinges upon forgiving others. Actually, that's not the New Testament standard at all. Look here at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. First, from the English Standard Version, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If you're filling in the blanks, as God in Christ forgave you. From the Amplified Translation, that same text, forgiving one another readily and freely as God in Christ forgave you. See, we forgive not as a condition to be forgiven. We forgive because we've been, past tense, forgiven. The message translation of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says this, forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, if one has a difference against another, readily pardon each other. Even as the Lord has freely forgiven you, so must you also forgive. See, our forgiveness now is based on a different standard. It's not forgive if we've been forgiven. It is forgive because we've been forgiven. Forgiveness is not a law of reciprocity. That's number three here. Why I hate forgiveness. Why it's so uncomfortable. Because everything in my humanness demands reciprocity. There's even movements in our country here in America today of reciprocity for sins committed hundreds of years ago. Forgiveness takes action. It doesn't wait for someone else to do it. How many of you are familiar with Corey Ten Boom? Heard the name at least? One of the individuals who hid, all right, worked with and hid Jewish individuals during Nazi Germany and Hitler. Corey Ten Boom, author of The Hiding Place, was taken captive and spent time in Nazi concentration camps during World War II. While in prison, Corey saw incredible abuse, so inhumane that it drove the prisoners to incredible depths, including intentionally allowing lice to breed on their bodies because the more lice they had, the less likely it would be that the guards would molest them. 
and Corey even witnessed the death of her own dear sister. After the war, God sent Corey Ten Boom on a mission of mercy through the war-torn cities to encourage residents to choose forgiveness over bitterness. She would motivate her audiences by sharing some of the atrocities that she had experienced, implying that if she could forgive such horrors, so could her listeners. One night during speaking, she immediately recognized a man who came up, came walking up the aisle towards her. He was a particularly cruel guard in one of the concentration camps. The man did not recognize her, however. As he approached Corey, he said, Fraudeline, you don't know me, but I was a guard in one of those camps. After the war, God saved me. I wish I could go back and undo those years, but I can't. And I've just been prompted by God to come tonight and ask you, would you please forgive me? Then he extended his hand to her. Can you imagine the horrible thoughts and memories that raced through Corey's mind as she recognized his face and then even worse, heard his incredible plea for forgiveness? How could she? Corey said her arms froze at her side and she was literally unable to move. The flashbacks in her mind replaying the atrocities, the death of her sister, the abuse. And then God's spirit said to Corey, Corey, what have you been telling everybody else to do? As an act of your will, will you choose to forgive? Corey went on to explain what happened next. I reached out my hand and I put it in his and I said, you're forgiven. She later reported that at that moment, it was like a dam broke loose. All the bitterness and resentment and God set me free. Let me give you three reasons to forgive. The urgency of forgiveness, by the way, takes precedence over other religious duties. Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24 says this, So if when you are offering your gift at the altar, you there remember that your brother has any grievance against you, leave your gift on the altar and go. First make peace with your brother, and then come back and present your gift. See, it takes precedent. Forgiveness is right up at the top of all Christian virtue and activity. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, wrestling with the command to love, he said, forgiveness is the peculiar, no, the extraordinary, the unusual that sets a Christian apart. All right, here's those three reasons to forgive. Number one, it's God's nature. It's God's nature to forgive. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 45. You've heard that it was said to you, love your neighbor, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, what's Jesus doing? In one sentence, one breath, he is superseding the scriptures that they then had. He's saying, my word takes authority over those scriptures that you had. See, all scripture is not equal. All scripture does not rest upon the same authoritative level. Jesus took authority and said, my word supersedes. But 
I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, to show that you are the children of your Father in heaven. You see, through prayer, we go to our enemy, stand by his side, and plead for him to God. Jesus did not promise that when we bless our enemies, they will not despitefully use or persecute us. God loves his enemies. There's one of your blanks. God loves his enemies. Number two. Reason number two. To halt the cycle of pain and break the chains of ungrace. To halt the cycle of pain and break the chains of ungrace. We're talking about three reasons to forgive. Henry Nouwen, famous therapist, counselor, author, Bible teacher, wrote this, quote, Forgiveness demands of me that I step over that wounded part of my heart that feels hurt and wronged and that wants to stay in control and put a few conditions between me and the one whom, I, whom I'm asked to forgive. End quote. Forgiveness demands of me that I step over that hurt, that I go past and beyond that offense. Luke chapter 6, verse 37, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn or pronounce guilty, and you will not be condemned or pronounced guilty. Acquit and forgive and release. Give up resentment, let it drop, and you will be acquitted and forgiven and released. You see, releasing resentment is a key. Resentment means to feel again. Resentment clings to the past. It relives it over and over. So when you resent, you keep feeling again and again and again what's wrong, what needs to change, what you remember about the situation. And that's why you forgive, is to step over, to go on, to break the ungrace. Reason number three, to loose the stranglehold of guilt in the perpetrator. To release it in the perpetrator. Larry Trapp, Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan, made national headlines in 1992 when he renounced his hatred, tore down his Nazi flags, and destroyed his many cartoons of hate literature. As Catherine Watterson recounts in the book, Not by the Sword, Trapp had been won over by forgiving love. Watch this. Trapp had been won over by the forgiving love of a Jewish cantor and his family. Though Trapp had sent them vile pamphlets mocking big-nosed Jews and denying the Holocaust, though he had threatened violence in phone calls made to their home. Though he had targeted their synagogue for bombing, the Cantor's family consistently responded with compassion and concern. Diabetic since childhood, Trapp was confined to a wheelchair and rapidly going blind. The Cantor's family invited him into their home to care for him. Quote, 
they showed me such love that I couldn't help but love them back, Trapp later said. He spent his last months of life seeking forgiveness from Jewish groups, the NAACP, and the many individuals that he had hated. Can you imagine? You see, forgiveness is like a surgery. There are steps in forgiveness. Number one, slice away the wrong. Slice away the wrong from the person. Number two, disengage that person from his hurtful act. Disengage. Again, we're, we're filling out an outline here, a handout. We'll make it available to you online and you can listen to the teaching and the sharing time again and fill yours out. It's worth saving. And then third, change his identity. The perpetrator changes identity from the one who hurt you to the one who needs you, from the one who alienated you to the one who belongs to you, from the one who brand, once branded as evil to the person weak in his own needs. See, that's a surgery. God helps us do it. God performed that surgery for us. God removes the sin barrier of those who have wronged him. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, God condemns sin in the flesh. We're going to talk about that verse in Romans chapter 8 extensively two weeks from now, leading up to Easter. Number two, God surrenders his right to get even. He bears the cost in his own body. So number one, God performing surgery on us looks like this. He removes the sin barrier. Number two, he surrenders the right to get even. Even he did. Jesus did. He surrendered that right to get even when he certainly could have exercised it. 1 Peter 2, 24. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. And number three, God's surgery looks like this. God changes our identity. Our status from fallen, deserving of death and retribution, to one who is restored, adopted as children, and recreated in his divine image. The righteousness of God in Christ. So in conclusion, the gospel of grace begins and ends with forgiveness. And people write songs with titles like Amazing Grace for one reason. Grace is the only force in the universe powerful enough to break the chains that enslave generations. Grace alone melts ungrace. What'd you hear? We're just going to open it up now, live stream. Text us your responses. 720-878-3323. Text us your comment. Text us your question. Or type it into the chat right now. We're monitoring. So we're looking. We would love to chat with you. You bet we are. Sure. So could I have a second mic since I'll need this one? And that will be for passing around.
Jack and Kathy said in the chat, that's one of my favorite songs. Kathy, is the second one, the worship song, Graves into Gardens, or the first one? Or both? Let us know. Anyone? Yes, behind you, Matt. I think it's interesting. Um, grace is something we usually think of that we want from other people. But in the story of Corey Ten Boom, um, it was what released her by giving grace. So, Going back to be in reason two, um, where in Matthew it says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay. I find it interesting that and as I have studied the Bible over the years, it's always, not always, but mostly uh, negative. Everything that's stated in the Old Testament is in the negative side, where in the New Testament, Jesus reverses that and goes to the positive. Forgiveness lives in the positive. Uh, love lives in the positive. Hate uh, lives in the negative, mm -hmm. and it's, just something that I've come to realize is that Jesus was always positive. He was, mm -hmm. he lived in that forgiveness. Yeah. I wonder if another way, that's very good. Who, if there's anybody else, we could pass the mic up here. If you'd grab that. Uh, thanks so much. I wonder if Jim, we could also say it this way. Jesus flips just everything about the law and legalism and requirement and demands and that's also something we'll look at in our upcoming three Easter messages about how that God took all of the requirements of the old covenant law and nailed them to a cross. Good comments. Waiting for more, anybody? 720-878-3323 or type it into the chat there. Yes. I just wanted to say, well, when I was in junior high, I had, I'd accepted Christ in, you know, when I was about 12, 13. And in junior high, I had, I was bullied. Uh, 7th, 8th, ninth, all the way through, I was bullied. And I would pray, Lord, please help me to love and forgive those girls and help them to love and forgive me. And I just saw God move in that. I mean, things happened, you know, they would be just hateful, hateful, and things would happen to them, you know, and they would be talking to me all of a sudden because they're kicked out of the gang or, you know, someone broke their arm, um, you know, things. And I don't think that God wanted to be mean to them, but no. I do think no. that because I prayed for them, God, he would turn things around and years later as an adult i was at a christian um coffee house and two of the worst perpetrators had come in and they had received christ since junior high and i was like thank you jesus you know that was just so mm. awesome but i think that by praying that way it kind of helped me it just helped change my heart toward them Forgiveness melts away the ungrace. 
Jack and Kathy said, Graves into Gardens. That's one of their favorite songs. Me too. Me too. That comes out of elevation worship. Sung the world over. I mean, we'll be singing that one in heaven, I think. I don't know. It's just, you know, it's a, it, 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 in today's world, it ranks with like Amazing Grace. It is like that popular. Like, like. I'm finding myself, oh, like. <laughs> Who else? Well, I know, like, for me, uh, um, forgiveness is kind of hard because um, I, I was just recently accused of something that I never did. And, um, but... I still love them and I forgive them for accusing me, but um, I know that uh, I have to forgive because if I don't forgive, I'm just locking myself up, you know, with uh, stress, wow. with, with pain, and uh, I, I know that the, the Lord loves me, no matter what, any, what they, anybody could say about me, I know the Lord loves me anyways. So I, I know he's for me, not against me. Mm. And so I choose to forgive because, um, for one thing, I'm a Christian. And that's one thing I believe in is forgiving people, giving people second chance, third chance, fourth chance, whatever it takes in life. Yes. And it's, it's easy. It's, it's, it's harder not to to forgive them, and it's easy to for, forgive them, you know? But I know that, uh, like I said, I know that Christ died for me, and he He forgave me, you know? He, um, <clears throat> like in um, Psalms 139, it says he, he, he knows me. He knows my, when I get up and I sit down, mm. he knows everything about me. So... If he knows everything about me, then he must know that the bumps and the roads in my life and that he will always forgive me. So that's my, my job is to forgive too, you know, yes. and, and to forgive and forget, you know, because I know that all the wrongs in my past he can erase and, and forgive. So... Um, I'm no better than anybody else, you know. So it's just it's just forgiveness is something that that is uh just a part of being a Christian, you know. It's to forgive, you know, cuz that's what Christ did for us is to forgive, you know. Thank you, James. Really great. Let me see what Jack and Kathy are saying here. That is why Mary mistook Jesus for the gardener. Oh, you're... I, <laughs> I thought she was posing some sort of serious comment about this great message and teaching I just brought. And she's still back on the song, Graves to Gardens, and said, that's why Mary mistook Jesus for the gardener. Aren't you cute? <laughs> clever. Yes, you are clever. 
Love you, Jack and Kathy. Thank you for being a regular part of the Genesis gathering and giving members and loving us so well. Anybody else? Yes, Matthew. Um, I, I remember hearing, and I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something about holding a grudge against someone is like taking poison and hoping, hoping it kills them. Like when you hold on to resentment or a grudge or hatred. Mm. Um, and it's interesting because to feel again um, every time that you bring that resentment up where it comes up, you experience that emotion again, that, that darkness or that difficulty rather than letting it go. Yes, that, that reminds me of that meaning of the word. Let me turn to it here. Man, that's so good, Matt. Um, in our three reasons to forgive, resentment, to feel again. So you just keep bringing it up. You keep bringing it up. Even the perpetrator may have gone on now is, and is free and living a different life, but you keep bringing it up through that resentment. Yeah, so good. Anybody else? Yeah. So for, thanks. That was awesome what you had to say. I totally, Isn't it's like good? if you, once you, and if you, perhaps some people haven't experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. Maybe we, we know Jesus and we say, oh yes, he generally forgave me, but he certainly hasn't forgiven me of this, that, and the other. I'm going to have to still work it out. Something about when we carry our, I'm not forgiven, then it's also hard to give away forgiveness. But once you know you're really forgiven, and like you said, we all have stuff. We still have stuff in the past and the present. And when we realize Jesus has forgiven us, that gives us a, it's, it's a motivation, a, a, some, a greater freedom perhaps to forgive others. But another thing, you, had, you said this in, in real, towards the beginning, one of, one of the people you were quoting about, maybe it was Corey Tim Boom, maybe it was what God said to Corey Tim Boom, by a choice of your will, and sometimes I think that's where we just, it's kind of like that's all we can do is start with a choice of our will, even though our emotions are running all over the place. But we feel like, well, I've just got to forgive. I don't know how to forgive, but I choose to forgive. And then it's a process to work through the emotions. It's a process that might take time. It may not be instantaneous yeah, like with Corey, where she just, you know, somehow the Holy Spirit just filled the gap. But sometimes after you make that choice, you make it again and you have to, you know, help the Lord help you to process through all those negative, hurting emotions, angry emotions, whatever goes with it, mm. and make a choice of your will, which is, which is a valid part of your will as, you know, one part of you. And you start somewhere, it can eventually spread through the rest of your emotions and everything. Yeah, really good. I think all of us have probably experienced that. We've chosen to forgive someone, but the feelings are all still there, right? God honors the integrity of your decision. We've always believed and shared with people that the feelings will come. Those will change. Those will come in line with 
the integrity of the decision you made. God's spirit will minister to you. But let me say, if you've been abused, molested, you've had some sort of serious encounter that was very shameful or shaming, those are some of the deepest wounds and they're not easily forgiven. And you can even make a decision to forgive. But that doesn't mean you're whole, all right, or free, as Corey said. It, it can take something. It can take a while. And that's part of the journey, and that's okay. Go ahead, Jeff. I, I, I think that's why we need another reason why we need community our ministry let's go into ministry Jeff please <clears throat> I think what I want to say to you is that regardless of where you're at on that journey it's okay Christ understands. And part of community is being in a group of people that love you no matter what. Not just through things you've done wrong, but things you're trying to do right. And wherever you are on that spiritual journey, you need people who will validate who you are, accept you for who you are, and appreciate who you are and where you're at. If you don't have a belonging like that, we'd invite you to consider the gathering here at Genesis. If you're local to Denver, we meet every Sunday at 1030. If you're not, save this link. Find us again. And leading up to Easter, let me tell you what's happening leading up to Easter. So I think I have it here on my phone. Let's see if it's updated. Next week, starting next week, we're going to have start a series that will take us through to Easter morning. I've entitled this series, Easter is a Divine Dance, not a pagan sacrifice. That'll be the byline. Next week, we'll talk about accepting the mystery in a world of absolutes. Man, how do you do that? How do you live with mystery in a world of absolutes? And then on the 2nd of April, tell me some good news or forget about it. That'll be April Sunday morning, April 2nd. And then Easter morning, the crucifixion. 